track podcast season three episode four i'm running solo today uh, i've been uh, quarantined here for a few days so I've, I've got this content i've put together here we've been talking about a little bit of history so i'm gonna i'm gonna do some more of that today and that will be the main topic and i'm oddly nervous here that i'm doing this all by myself this has got me a little unsettled but we'll make make our way through it uh, so we're going to talk about bid awards here in a couple minutes i've had a a good week or two here. I'm going to talk about the main topic, which is which is the history, uh, some history of the company, or more more uh, specifically the founder, my granddad Herb. Uh, we got very meager uh, shout outs today. A couple good ones, but that's it. Uh, Price is right, McCloskey J50 Crusher. We got some announcements, but before we get going on on the podcast, I, I want to do a little housekeeping. Um, so one thing, the access to the podcast, we, we text it to you every week and we're glad to do that. We want to keep doing that. Uh, but there is also, you can just subscribe to it on a number of different applications on your phone. Uh, Pocket Cast is one of them. Podbean is one of them. Apple Podcasts is one of them. So you can just subscribe there, um, uh, if you would like to. And... Another thing we've mentioned here in recent weeks is is uh, show notes, and uh, it became clear last week that some people don't know what the show notes are, and what the show notes are is a place that describes what's going on in the episode. It's also a place where we can put a a link to a resource if we if we mention something and we say you can go to this link in the show notes, uh, for instance, maybe to access a benefit. Or, or something like that. So you can either, uh, depending on which app you use for your podcast, you can go to uh, either scroll it up and it'll show the show notes or it has another tab beside the actual podcast that says notes or whatever. But uh, if we do say we've got notes, it's probably worth taking a look and that'll take you right to the link. Uh, aside from that, the notes just generally describe what the... Uh, episode is about. So moving right along, uh, oh, one more thing. I know the last month or so has not been good in the in the market, and it's likely that a lot of you have seen some erosion in your 401k plan or other, or other places that you have money invested. And I just want to encourage you not to freak out about this. Um, these are times they take place every so often. It's been more often here as COVID's hit for some reason. Well, I guess I know the reason. Probably you do too. Um, but it's not a time to stop putting money in your 401k plan or to take money out of your 401k plan. I know we, we experienced in each of the last two years a similar decline in the market. And... Uh, last year, I had an individual texting me saying, you know, I want to get my money out. And the way our the way we're set up, it's not easy to get your money out. A 
according to the rules, uh, you have to have quite a hardship to get the money out. But uh, the individual was pointing out that, hey, this market's going south. Well, I think by three or four months later, it had all bounced back. And I can't guarantee you this will bounce back just like it did the last couple times. Uh, but over time, it always does. So be patient and uh, and don't get the feeling you've got to haul your money out of your 401k plan or your investments. Moving right along, we'll hit some uh, some bids here that we got. And uh, Pat Dubay and, and, the, and the crew has really done a great job picking up some work. So uh, what he sent me is so small I can barely read it. But we've got uh, we're a little bit on a Charles County landfill cell uh, in Maryland. And we're working with the owner to try to get that in budget. Uh, Juniper Ridge landfill cell 14 completion. Uh, we feel really good about that. Uh, that's up in West Old, West Old Town. Uh, Lake Country Airport runway widening in Clarksville, Virginia. About a million four job. We were alone only. We don't know where we stand on that, uh, whether that'll be a ward or not. And then uh, last week, we were low bidder uh, of three bidders on the Buncombe County landfill cell in Ag Alexander, North Carolina. That's over around Asheville. And that was about $12.3 million. Uh, also, we're starting site work uh, for a Microsoft site in Virginia that's uh, worth about uh, $6.8 million. And finally, in Norridgewock, Maine, for waste management, we picked up a piece of work that's somewhere right around $8.5 million. So... A lot of work added to the books here recently. Uh, it's going to be a busy summer. You may say, why are we keep taking work? We have a lot of work. A lot of that work is subcontractor work, and some of this work spreads out into 2023 as well. So uh, so I, I think we're, we're doing well and, and really have got a good, uh, a good line on what the, what the year is going to look like at this point. With that, I'm going to move over to the main topic. And what this is, this is a foreword that uh, I had written for, for my grandfather's book, uh, Moving the Earth. And it didn't get used as a foreword. Parts of it got used later in the book. But I thought it, it, it does a good job of kind of explaining uh, Herb's world back when, when he was a boy. So I started out just describing a ride that I had with Herb. Uh, I'm going to say 15, 20 years ago, uh, well, probably 20 years ago, I guess. And we were driving up in Alton on Route 16, Alton, Maine, just north of Old Town. And uh, he said, that spot right there is where the old schoolhouse was. And he said that I can remember walking out of that schoolhouse and it sat up on the on the esker on the ridge a little higher than the road and there's about 12 of us in the class and I walked out and I stood on the top step and I looked out across and the Alton bog was there and there's a lot of flat ground there uh, miles of it as he looks across the Penobscot River and he could see a mountain across there uh, what he didn't know at the time, it ends up being Passadumkeg Mountain, which is about 422 feet above sea level. Um, and he looked at that mountain 
and he just thought about maybe someday ever ever being there. He went on to work. He walked uh, down the road, gravel road at the time, uh, probably about a mile and a half, and uh, took took a left off Route 16 down to his his driveway that they lived on, and that was probably a quarter of a mile long. But he had to walk by his uh, dad's and his uncle's sawmill, and there were mountains of sawdust there that that he thought that had always been there and always would be there. They, you know, as far as he was concerned, they were part of the earth. Um, so he went on to, to do his chores, but then after his chores, he went for his, his first commercial business. And he, uh, he guessed he was about 10 years old at this time. And that was, he would go take the wagon, hook the horses on and, and load up sawdust and go sell it to the villagers because this was in Alton, Maine, pre-electricity, pre-refrigerators, pre-telephone, pre-automobile, um, pre-everything, just about. And he'd go back and, and sell sawdust to the villagers for their ice boxes for insulation, a quarter for a one-horse load and two quarters for a two-horse load. And he told me as he went around, uh, around that work, went about his work, he, he got thinking about that mountain again and wondered if he'd ever get that far in his life. And uh, it, it was such a thing to try to understand uh, and put yourself back in, let's say, 1916, back in that moment. Um, that he had no idea where he was going to go. And it seemed silly to him that he might ever get that far. He dismissed it. And it seemed like an extra extravagant expedition, long beyond anything he could ever do in his life. And I, I felt like that's an apt frame of reference for the story that unfolds in the book that was written. But in a way, it's also the essence of Sargent. And it, in some ways, it can be the essence of where we stand now as we look at all the changes in the world, um, some of which we don't know. So now I'll go back to the written and I'll be reading here. Orville and Wilbur Wright had only within the last decade made their historic flight at Kitty Hawk. Henry Ford's industrial marvel, the automobile for everyone had scarcely made its debut. In any event, neither of these revolutionary endeavors had reached out in Maine except via various news and magazine accounts. In fact, the Civil War was recent enough at hand to be recalled by some of Herb's elder family members. And Bangor was only just now passing on the reins as one of the busiest small cities in America, having been the lumbering capital of the world for a few decades. Throughout the 1800s, the Industrial Revolution logged on. With the advent of electricity and the telephone, as I said, neither which had been made into Alton yet, the steam engine and various other industrial advancements, society was beginning to recognize the means for its long-desired mobility. Past generations' tradition of providing one for oneself began to morph into various specializations as entrepreneurs produced or manufactured goods and products for sale to others. This required transportation. But the new transportation was different. More products were required to move greater distances, and though the railroad system provided much of the capacity for this movement, the necessity that railroad cars stay on rails limited its effectiveness as a means of local delivery. 
With the increased demand for movement of goods, entrepreneurial spirit drove the development of machinery to perform the task with increasing size and efficiency. Automobiles were developed, then trucks, and the people's desire to put them to the greatest utility was dramatically on the rise. With the technological improvement of gasoline and diesel engines, the greatest challenge these new agents of change faced were the roads on which they were required to travel. Herb's reflection on the improbability of scaling Pasadena Mountain gives insight as to how little the child suspected he would once someday be swept into a current of industrial achievement that was as great as the planet had ever seen. The physical and immobility and social immobility indicative of Herb's childhood in Alton had almost as much in common with the days of the Revolutionary War as Herb did with the party attendees the day he turned 100 years old. The thought he may have breakfast in Stillwater home, lunch in Chicago, and supper again in Stillwater, all in the same day, was pure fantasy to him in the 1900s. But by the time Herb celebrated his 100th birthday, the feat was more easily and quickly accomplished than climbing the past Demkeg Mountain. Herb's position in this industrial current that stretches the length of the 20th century is one to behold. He embraced technology willingly, but cautiously. I remember him saying, be not the first to try the new, nor the last to lay aside the old. And that became his modus operandi throughout his professional life. His interest in advancement of moving, earth moving techniques took him to road shows in Chicago and Las Vegas throughout his life. Uh, I can remember taking to him taking him to his last one uh, in early 2000s, I think it was 2003 or four. He was 98 years old uh, out in Las Vegas. He became a recognized leader of business, community, philanthropy, and family. He was the very definition of humility. His compassion, his business instincts, his loyalty, his directness, his respect for the others, the list goes on. But it was Herb's quiet assurance and gentle firmness that propelled him and everything he touched to a more successful place. He drove on, looking at every day with an optimism that sometimes seemed as misplaced as it was appreciated. And on that note, I'd say his first wife, my grandmother, Amber, was stricken with Parkinson's disease for nearly 40 years. During that whole time, I never saw him. Anything in his countenance that betrayed joy. Seldom did one come in contact with Herb that he didn't depart with a rejuvenated spirit toward accomplishing his goal. Few people have the opportunity to watch their 90-year-old grandfather jump around like a schoolchild with his great-grandchild on his shoulders. I bring this image up because it's symbolic of how Herb lived his life. Men decades as junior routinely had trouble keeping up with me, including me on occasion. As an 85-year-old man, he one time joined the office crew at lunch for a game of wiffle ball. He pulled future means and methods backward into his own time, set about employing them the most appropriate way, and then went on to see what he could improve next. That's not to imply Herb had a love affair with risk, on the contrary. Though the construction business is riddled with risk, late in his 90s, he lamented to me that he might have been more successful if he had been a little less conservative. One usually knew from what standpoint Herb would attack things. It was the point of view that survived logical testing. If you wanted advice to counterbalance an emotional consideration to an issue, you could rely on Herb. 
I know firsthand because in the winter of 2005, as I considered the purchase of H.E. Sargent, the company he started in 1926, Herb warned me to evaluate the business merits. If you evaluate emotionally, it may be a bad business move, he said. He made this statement in spite of the idea that he may have been more emotional about the move than I was. The challenges and changes Herb saw during the decades in the construction industry of worthy of awe. Businesses come and go that do one thing and do it right. A shift in the market or technology often drives businesses out of business. Not a single competitor of the old highway days of the 50s, 60s, and 70s exists any longer. But the fact Herb Main remains successful in this industry through these changes carries a message that business people and individuals can and should learn from. For instance, in the 1920s and 30s, Herb was successful in early road work with a gasoline shovel and a two-yard truck. In the 1940s and 50s, the success continued on airport and dam work with the advent of diesel-powered front-end loaders, dozers, and shovels. The 60s and 70s ushered in the construction of the interstate system with yet more technological advancements, and the scraper became the primary earth mover. The hydraulic excavator and articulated off-road trucks supplanted the scraper in the 1980s as the interstate work was replaced with new commercial and industrial development. The markets, means, and methods of the 1930s work share little in common with those of the 1980s. Given this just disjointed means and methods of the industry over the decades, I begin to consider what went unchanged over the decades in an effort to maintain those things within the company to give it the best opportunity to transcend those challenges in the future. We think we've come up with it. Herb himself would tell you, as he told me, that he never had a grand plan to become the preeminent earthwork contractor in Maine or New England. In his humble beginnings, he was able to employ business and personal ethics that were beyond reproach. He also knew that however well he executed his craft today, he was duty-bound for the sake of his pride, his family, his customer, his employees, and his competitive advantage to execute it better tomorrow. Implied in this passion of ever honing his craft was a firm reliance on great employees who could share this feeling and implement it well. Herb knew that equipment didn't build things, people build things. Caring for these employees and their well-being became so second nature, it was almost the same as brushing his teeth. What Herb had was purpose and an undeniable sense of values, though they were never written down. On April 9, 2006, Herb passed away. I little realized until that time the depth and breadth of the impact Herb had across the state of Maine. I got hundreds of emails, calls, and cards, and dozens and dozens of them contained a variation of this simple question. Where would I be without Herb Sargent? In 2018, we looked back at Herb's working life and that of the company he built, and we put in code, the purpose, and values we believe represent this company. Our purpose is to build and to be faithful stewards of the Sargent legacy and the resources entrusted to us. What matters the most to us? Investing in people. The Sargent culture is steeped in commitment to the well-being and prosperity of our family of employee owners into meaningful relationships with our business partners and communities. 
honing our craft. We deliver the talent, the passion, and the determination to provide productive and creative solutions to every project. Doing the right thing, even when no one is watching. Regardless of personal or financial consequences, we conduct ourselves with honesty and integrity. Winning in the field, a philosophy that our executional spirit, driven by safety, dedication, and mutual fairness, will produce exceptional outcomes and a win for all involved. I think I can speak for Tasha, Eric, and our board of directors that we don't feel a need for anyone to reflect back and say, where would I be without Sergeant? I think I can also say we want them to provide an environment where you find joy in your work, resources for a happy and productive life outside work, and a surplus of dignity when you retire. But more than all that, we want to create and maintain an environment where your efforts bring incredible value to the team as a whole, where you literally have the opportunity to be a leader and help improve people's trajectories inside and outside work where you have a chance to make a difference. We'll move on now to shout outs. And uh, as I mentioned before, we've got a fairly thin shout out list. In fact, they're both to the same person. Uh, Kevin Gordon says he'd like to give a shout out to Jason Light for taking care of the workforce advancement team on last week's podcast. And I can guarantee you those guys needed lots of help. His help was much needed and much appreciated. Thanks a ton, Jason, uh, from Kevin Gordon. And I had already put Jason in for a shout-out as well. Uh, I was out of town, um, and uh, Jason jumped in, so I want to give Jason a shout-out for that, in addition to the myriad things that he covers that nobody really knows about. It's uh, Jason's a real workhorse for our company, I can tell you that. I don't have any applause with me. Price is right. J50 jaw crusher. Uh, we gave a couple hints. I think it was more than a dollar and less than 10 million. Um, those guys are very generous for their hints last week. We had a low guess of $11,250, uh, which is quite low. I don't think we could buy one set of tracks for that. Uh, Derek True was $801,064. Mark Wright was $666,666.66. John Rogerson, $739. Trevor Gardner, $690,000. The actual price of the McCloskey J50 Jaw Crusher is $699,000. So Trevor Gardner is the winner of the $50 gift certificate. I don't make it to the crowd as the crowd does, I guess. So the price is right for this coming week. Sticking on the history theme. Herb had a, what was known as a Thu, T-H-E-W, model 00 shovel that he bought. 
I think he was about 23 years old, 24 years old when he bought it. He and his dad bought it. That's in the Coal Lynch Land Transportation Museum in Bangor. So the question is, how much did Herb pay for that? It was about a half yard machine. It was converted to gasoline. The options at the time were steam, gasoline, and electric. There was no diesel option. So how much did Herb and his dad pay for this through double-odd shovel? And now we move on to announcements. A reminder from Amy, everyone who registers with Well Steps by January 31st will be entered into a drawing to win one of four Fitbits with GPS or a stainless steel water bottle. If you go to wellsteps.com forward slash sergeant and click register, you can register by using your email address that you get your paycheck on. So whatever email address that you get your paycheck delivered is the email address you use to register. Please contact Amy if you have any questions on the medical reimbursement or the wellness program at Amy Soames, A-S-O-M-E-S at sergeant.us. So it's asomes at sergeant.us. And we're running a fairly short podcast this week. I appreciate you listening. And we'll try to get a bigger crew on next week. With that said, zero accidents.